shapeshifters hope that you enjoyed this rare and infamous moment that combines a first-rate disaster with genuine historical significance. But now it's time to take a deep breath and get those cameras out as we prepare to temporally reset you to one of the most fantastic catastrophes in history. Are you ready? Everyone, and welcome back to the Time Shifters Podcast. This is your host, Christopher, and with me, as always, is my fantastic co-host, Tom. Tom, how the heck have you been? I have been well and relieved as of late. <laughs> Good, yes, you were just saying before we started recording that your home renovations have been completed. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Two, two and a half months in the making, <laughs> so kind of nice to know that my house belongs to me again. <laughs> yes, you don't have a bunch of strangers coming in and making messes anymore? Yeah, exactly. Uh, now the messes are just all mine. <laughs> you got no one else to blame them on now? No, not this time. <laughs> <laughs> but now I need to spend an inordinate amount of time cleaning. <laughs> Drywall dust gets everywhere. Yes, it does. Oh my gosh, you have no idea. You're going to be finding that stuff for weeks. Probably. You're going to think... You're going to think you've got everything clean, and then you're going to move something. <laughs> well, and, and you know me with all of my little collectibles and tchotchkes, and that means i got to touch oh, each yeah. and every one, move them, dust them, dust under them. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a while. Yeah, we've been doing a little bit of spring cleaning, I guess, in the middle of uh, winter, but the middle of fall anyway. And uh, I was doing some dusting, and I opened up the curio cabinet, and thinking, well, this stuff isn't too bad. And I was looking and like, like just touched a finger onto the glass shelf. And there's like a definite spot where my finger just touched where there's dust. <laughs> but I'm looking at all the stuff that's on these shelves. I'm like, yeah, that's going to be another day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Our collectibles and stuff, they're very nice. But uh, the amount of time required, and God help you if it if they're not just straight like statue kind of things, if they're figures of any kind. Yeah. Uh, now it's repose and all. This particular curio cabinet has not just like some figures and stuff and, and collectibles, but it's also, it's sort of like the family curio. Yeah. So everybody's got a little something in there, including like a big collection of rocks and shells. Yeah. And that's pretty much, I get the top shelf fine. That's no problem. It's maybe a dozen dozen and a half things that could come off pretty easy but then you get down to the bottom shelf and it's just like dozens of things and i'm like oh, I, i'm just not up for that i'm just i think i'll just keep the light turned off and the door closed we'll be fine yeah it's kind of i've got a hutch full of optimus prime uh that's all yeah. that's in it is optimus prime lots of variations and i'm like those doors have been closed it doesn't look that dusty in there i'm not touching it <laughs> Yep, exactly. As long as you don't touch it and actually make a clean spot, you can't see how dirty the rest of it is. Exactly. <laughs> no one else can tell. I, so. I was trying to think of things that have gone on since the last time we recorded. One of the things that came up, I think, uh, in between our recording dates is the trailer for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. Mm -hmm. Have you had a chance to see this? I did, uh, and... and they use the music very effectively. They're, 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 what, what's that little noise that may make when we see the headquarters? The, 
that that little noise that you heard like from early in the first movie and like and you just get that little chill up your spine like yay (laughs) i'm very impressed with this trailer because it looks like they actually you know ghostbusters afterlife i loved it i had i had a great time with it but it was effectively just one scene after another of fan service oh yeah absolutely this actually looks like they went to the effort of, okay, we did that. Now here's a nice new story for you. Yes, no, we've reintroduced. We've introduced our new characters. We reintroduced you to the old. We we've given you the the nostalgia factor. It essentially a a, a version, a rehash of the original movie, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, now now you're getting like, okay, now we can put a little meat on this bone. So, looking forward to it. It looks like the characters are going to show... The movie's going to start with the characters established. Yes. They've... Everything happened in Afterlife, and then they went to New York and... Set up shop. They became Ghostbusters again, set up shop. They're doing their business, and that's just where the... At least from the trailer, it's just where it jumps in. Well, and... I'm a Patton Oswalt fan, and to watch him uh, be there, basically <laughs> like uh, uh, Ray, Ray's sycophant, <laughs> like mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> I like it. And no mini marshmallow men to be found, uh, in, at least in the trailer. So I'm I'm a happy man. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking for. And, and actually, the the baddie still makes me kind of hope that if the franchise can continue. The, the real Ghostbusters cartoon had, had a character that I always loved, Sam Hain. Sam Hain, yeah. yes. The, the figure that you kind of get to see is a little reminiscent. It's totally not him. Um, but it makes me hope for maybe a day. <laughs> yes. Yeah, those were always the best episodes of the they real were. Ghostbusters. He was like a legitimately evil kind of scary villain. Yeah, no, he was super creepy, and he was prepared, and he had a chip on his shoulder about the Ghostbusters in particular. So, yeah, I just really kind of <laughs> hope that at some point they they might even get, it's a it's a rare opportunity to get a couple of little like uh, real Ghostbuster Easter eggs into a a future movie. Could be fun. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. On the flip side, on the other side, yes. perhaps, of how good we're expecting the new Ghostbusters film to be, there's a new film coming out from Full Moon. <laughs> and you you know I'm a Full Moon fan. Uh, uh, yeah, and actually, when I saw this particular trailer, I was surprised Full Moon still existed. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. Charlie Ban has re- revived it. Um it's actually, I don't think, really gone anywhere. It's been producing stuff, but the films it's been producing, I think the heyday of Full Moon, at least for me, is definitely in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Puppet Master, the Subspecies. Uh, All the straight-to-video release stuff. Yeah, well, which is what they still do. Yeah. But that, that to me, was like kind of like their, their real heyday. Mm-hmm. And then as you got to the late 90s and going to the 2000s, a lot of their films got a little too... I just lost interest with them. I don't know if it's they just changed the kind of films they were making or if I just changed myself and I wasn't interested in things and like the, the evil bong and uh, head of the family and things like that. Yeah. As I Actually, I don't know if head of the family was... That might have been late 90s. <laughs> I felt like they were like, 
this isn't the same. This isn't the full moon that I knew. So I wasn't really paying much attention to them, other than the fact that I knew that they're around. Mm -hmm. uh, Charles Band, for at least a little while, had a studio up in northern Ohio. Oh, wow. I don't know if he still does. This was several years ago sure. that this was a, this was big news that he was moving and you know going to be make, doing films and uh, Baby Oopsie was a new was a film that he did up there and uh, sure never seen it. You know, there's a lot of the Full Moon stuff in the last decade or two that I've not paid attention to. But this trailer for this one, <laughs> especially with my uh, recent um, dive into jaws clone mm -hmm. you know giant animal attack kind of films even the title of this one full moon is just pretty much wearing it on their sleeve mm -hmm. and they're calling the film bad cgi gators yeah. <laughs> and as far as i can tell the premise of this film is someone throws a laptop in a lake and it turns an alligator into a bad cgi <laughs> gator <laughs> Uh, and before we even started the, the show, uh, I had even mentioned to you, I because of uh, friends' understanding of uh, our what, some of what we watch for the show here, uh, what I watch with friends on Thursday nights and all that, he he absolutely stopped. I was out for a run, and he waited till I was done with my run to stop me. And out in the middle of the street, he is showing me. The, the trailer for this movie, just because he couldn't wait to have me see it any other way. <laughs> like, that is awesome. And, and I actually, the trailer is genius unto itself because it plays out like any normal oversex college kid movie. This is this is your opportunity to possibly see some TNA, very full moon esque kind mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then and you watch through it, and then. You start with the gator, and then all of a sudden, you happen to notice that the gator is doing some weird things. <laughs> it's floating. It seems to change size depending on the scene. Mm -hmm. That's why he kept saying while while I'm watching that, because I'm laughing at what I'm watching just as the trailer. And he's like, "Yeah, but you, hang on, wait for the wait for the title." <laughs> <laughs> And when the title comes up, Bad CGI Gator, I just lost my mind in the middle of the street. That was awesome. I love the tagline that is at least on the uh, the the poster of the trailer. Yeah. It's terror rendered too cheaply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, folks, it's a must watch. I think you should uh, actually encourage this to go to the theaters. <laughs> no kidding. Like I said, I have not paid much attention to Full Moon, but that, this particular one is right up my alley. I will definitely be checking this out when it's available. Oh, definitely, yeah. No, I can't wait. I, I can honestly say for what will be a bad movie on purpose, I am deeply excited for it. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I got I got good vibes from that one. Mm -hmm. Back to the uh, the good side of the coin. Yes. Now that the uh, writer strike and the actor strike has uh, effectively come to an end. We got word that uh, Strange New World Season 3 is heading back into production. Yay. This is very good news. Yes, it, 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 it's just like getting a warm blanket when you got a shiver. It just feels right. <laughs> yes. I think I've uh, I read that it was going to uh, start this December, 
Yeah. And run to like the summer of 24. So we could conceivably see more Star Trek by the end of next year. Yeah, the, I know the strike was uh, really risking whether or not we'd get out of... And we might still. I, I don't know how they want to run their schedule. It could run us still into 25 before we see more. Uh, part of that uh, announcement, if I remember correctly, too, is now they get to explore whether or not they want to take on any other Star Trek projects. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because uh, apparently Legacy is still a thing that's kind of out there being thought through. So, Okay, interesting. Um I'm not sure if I'm that keen on it. <laughs> if I'm if, if I'm honest, I mean, I'm not going to say I wouldn't watch it or I wouldn't give it a shot. Right. But I'm not one of the ones that are going like, "Oh yes, I want to see a Seven of Nine series." I, I don't. I, I I don't I don't really care. For me, it's not so much about whether or not it's Seven of Nine. I I actually like her just fine and thought her development was made her a lot better than she was on Voyager um, during her time on Picard. It gave her some more depth and some more... Oh, so absolutely. Um, if it takes that that next-gen vibe and can carry it forward, I, I could get on board with it. I, I reserve judgment till there's actually something to to watch, but I I have a glim- more glimmer of hope on that front than you. I, I know you. You're always very trepidatious about <laughs> about new trek that is true discovery let you down hard <laughs> oh absolutely yeah. yeah yeah so uh i'm trying to put that little spark of hope in you but we'll we'll Thank have you. to wait and see no i appreciate it i, I i'm glad there that i surround myself with cooler heads when it comes to this stuff <laughs> i wanted to uh step back to our last episode where I was talking about uh, Time Jam, Valerian, and Laureline, mm-hmm. and I asked if you might watch uh, an ep- a few episodes of this anime that I was watching. Mm-hmm. You got to you got through a few of them. Yeah, I got right? through three of the episodes, uh, and and I can honestly say after watching the three, uh, I think we only have six, um, something like that. Maybe it's eight. I don't remember. Um, total no I, total uh, episodes I believe there's 23 oh 23 oh well yeah uh, well that is gonna take a minute but but actually of what I watched I want to keep watching oh interesting all right now the thing that I found interesting about this especially I went back to you to ask what year this was produced mm-hmm. um, so 2007 correct um of course this is all based off of comic series obviously from the 60s so the thing i found surprising uh i I actually like kind of the anime feel even though this is french Mm -hmm. um well it's a french the animation i think they did team with a japanese production company and and, and it has that vibe so yes um but no i found i like the animation uh where they stuck in cgi i think it made sense and didn't pull you out of uh it, it wasn't harsh by any stretch of the imagination. I was digging the story. Uh, it, in fact, it, right the first episode, especially their little time 
I forget what they called them, guardians or whatever. Temporal something agents. Yeah, yeah they, temporal agents. Yeah, or... I was trying not to call them time cops, but that's basically... <laughs> and actually, that's not accurate, but this gets into fun time things that we get to discuss. But uh, I, I was enjoying a vibe that it felt a little Voyagers-esque uh, on the first episode. That that sure. that notion that we're going to tra- travel in time. This one, They were more observation rather than intervention, but uh, mm-hmm. it kind of had that feel. Hey, you're going to go on a mission and there's a reason for you to do it. All that fun stuff. And then watching it all go horribly wrong on his first mission, and that's how he gets Loreline. That was that was a lot of fun. <laughs> they did that pretty well, and then how they continue it through, at least for the first uh, three episodes. But what I thought was funny is how misogynistic it still is, despite the fact that they are trying to build a very a female heroine. They're making her way better than. Valerian ever could be because <laughs> she seems smarter faster more agile she she's from the past and she's picking crap up way faster than he's getting and he seems like a blockhead half the time but yet the song even the opening song Valerian, Valerian. yeah <laughs> like, it's all about him it's all about him um and then even when there's moments where she's going to play the damsel because she needs to play the damsel for whatever situation they're in. But does she? <laughs> that's that. That's the part that's kind of off-putting. We're making Valerian the hero. He's probably the lesser of the two. Um, he just happened to start the sleigh ride. <laughs> um, but she's obviously taken the reins since. And yet... Even in all of this alien culture, she's still somehow lesser than him, no matter what. Yeah. And that that that's the only vibe in the whole thing that's kind of rubbing me the wrong way. No, I agree. And I'm glad you brought up the theme song, because that was one of the points that I wanted to bring up, too, is it's Valerian and Laureline, or Loreline, yeah. however you say her name, yeah. is the name of the show, but the theme song is... I, I can't make out all the lyrics because the way they sing it is very stylized uh, and, and, and it's high and, pitched in some yeah. high pitched and everything. But yeah, the, the the point of it is somewhere in time and space, always be a shining star. <laughs> He's not worth this. <laughs> well, what's funny, uh, and I don't know how much this parallels the actual comics. You would have to speak to that. I haven't reviewed those at all. But it, if it does in any way, <laughs> like, I, I, again, I'm not get. They they just kind of play lip service to that. He's a ladies' man, and I made it through three episodes, and I haven't seen him be a ladies man in any way shape or form um he doesn't even have any game with her (laughs) they not to risk spoiling anything or whatever but they definitely do hint at that kind of stuff in some of the latter uh, episodes after the the three that you're watching they 
they throw hints that the two like each other, but are constantly denying that they like each other. It's almost a early moonlighting sort of thing, you know, where they pretend they get on each other's nerves, but in reality, they uh, have a thing for each other. You can pick that up. It, um, not the first episode, but it, there's hints of it even in the second and third. And and they do some of that that, that very standard anime stuff where you get kind of the inner monologue thing going on while there's a meaningful stare and I'm like mm-hmm. okay <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a bit much but I get where it comes from <laughs> I think the animation is really good it is uh, there's even moments where I think they do a really good with like facial expressions mm-hmm. um, especially with Loreline. she she'll turn and, and and give them a look and it's like wow that's actually really good I mean they did a really nice job where they're having her face say more than what she could with words. Which is impressive considering for the most part, the character stuff are simple. They're, mm-hmm. Yeah, that like they them as characters could have been cut out of almost any animation throughout time, almost. Mm-hmm. There's, there, I, I catch hints of the looks from Voltron. And such in the human characters, at least. Yeah, honestly, yeah, she would remind me of the the princess in Voltron. Allura. Yes, thank you. I will warn you that as the series goes on, mm-hmm. I feel like in the beginning there are some interesting and and, and fun stories. Yeah. But I've hit on some. I'm thinking I'm on episode early teens, maybe twelve, thirteen, something like that. And they start really leaning into almost childish and almost, or um, just too lighthearted. I mean, mm. we actually had a body swap episode. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it, it seems like a trope that, it, it, I feel like everybody that's ever written any kind of sci-fi series has, have all gone in on a pact where they all have to have a body swap episode. Yeah, I don't know what it all is. All of them. All of them. I, I'll, I'll still continue through, but uh, as I have time. But uh, yeah, that that was gonna be my question back to you because in the first three, it's all right uh, and it's fun, but I'm struggling with who their demographic is. Because, I mean, it has the potential to be very sophisticated and adult, but it still comes off very childish, even in in, in the first three. So you're just telling me it's going to continue kind of down that route where it doesn't know where whose its audience is. Yeah, I kind of I kind of think so. But oh, like I said, I'm, I'm quite a bit further along with you. If you want to keep watching it, you have a few more episodes to go and uh, I'll make sure you have uh you have some more to uh, oh, yeah. keep you busy, so you can just plug through. They're certainly not in any hurry to watch them all or anything, but... Nope, I'll, I'll continue my way through. We can uh, occasionally revisit as we uh, progress through the series, but it has far more potential than the movie did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, I, didn't, I, I know it's dubbed, but I actually don't have a problem with any of the voice work. Okay. That's on this, especially since, because you were, I think you were hoping that Valerian was a, had a little older voice, and 
and now that I got to see the first episode, and and he's a rookie, he is just getting his first shot at this. I'm okay with with him sounding a bit younger, a little less mature. The more I watch it, the less of an issue I have with his voice. Yeah. But I think my issue with it, it still is, I wish it was a little bit more masculine. Well, it would make more sense when we get to the parts where he is supposed to be more of the ladies' man. The mm. guy's guy. <laughs> I don't know why he has to be that way, but that's kind of what they paint him as and you, you, yeah you kind of want a presence if that's yeah. if that's your character all right well i appreciate you checking them out and i hope uh, i hope you continue to enjoy them and yeah we'll we'll revisit this at a later date perhaps cool have you been i've been taking up all the top of the show have you been doing anything else besides the uh, time jam no between uh, all that stuff time jam um and Went to see the actual The Marvels movie. <laughs> oh, did you? Yes. Good, good. I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, I hope you enjoy it, because I fear why it's getting maligned, because it, it's not doing well. No. Well, I do think there are some people that argue that it's just simply superhero fatigue, and I certainly think it's maybe true. I, I am less interested whenever I hear about a new Marvel film coming or any superhero film coming because so few of them feel original anymore. I mean, uh, Blue Beetle, which is, I think, uh, now available on Beach, on, on, on Max. It, it is. It's available on Max. Still which I want to watch. <laughs> I, I still haven't watched it. I want to watch it. But when I saw the trailer, I felt like, well, I've seen this in like every three Spider-Man films I've just watched. And that's what I want people to start taking a step back with, with on this, is understand why you have a problem with it. Like, I, I've i had people tell me uh, about not liking that it's an all-female centric care list, and that's just, that's crap. They don't like Brie Larson or Captain Marvel, and I'm like, I, I don't get that either. Um, I, I watched it. I, I, I enjoyed it, but I will happily admit it is lather, rinse, repeat. Uh, it is every Marvel movie you have ever seen to date. Right. <laughs> and that's it. That's the fatigue of it all. Um, and while I was having a conversation with somebody that was busy maligning it, I'm like, I, I had to stop them. And I go, okay, let, let's go through this. Why did you like the first stuff? And they're like, oh, well, it was new, this, that. I'm like, okay, granted. Is this any different than any of that stuff? Well, no, not really. I'm like, that's my point. You like that stuff, you don't like this one. You don't like this one because you're exhausted. <laughs> um... <laughs> If you think about it, from the time of the first Iron Man movie to the first Avengers movie, they only had like that. That it took five films to get to that, basically. Um, if I've got that count right, it might even be less. Um, but the, I want to say less, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I know it's Iron Man, Thor, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man two, and then I think we're at Avengers. I think that's okay. right. I think. Um, I'm sure someone out there will correct me. Um, but 
But it also took them oh, ten, almost 10 years to do that. Mm-hmm. And then it took off like a shot. And then Disney got more, got involved. And then they started producing a lot more content. And there was more, and then there was more, and then there was more. And now we're even into the whole, did I watch all the right things to even understand what I'm watching now? And that's the part that I think is wearing people out. Yeah. And then if you really want to think about it, Marvel has so many loose ends off of their end credit scenes and all that that are not wrapped up or not revisited in any way that... I think half of what's in people's head is when am I going to get to see that while I'm trying to watch this? Yeah, how how lost am I going to be because I didn't watch? Uh, was it Miss Marvel? Very. Okay. Watch Miss Marvel. And watch right, Miss so. Marvel. It's actually fun. Yeah, no, it looked like it would be fun. Yeah, so, so you're. T- you need Captain Marvel. You need WandaVision, and you need uh, uh, Miss Marvel. Okay, well, I need to get um, Disney Plus anyway because doc- the new Doctor Who season is going to be starting up here. So I got more than enough reason to go ahead and uh, subscribe to Disney Plus. Which is funny because you're doing it right now while there's a big movement to cancel Disney Plus. <laughs> of course, why not? And not for the conservative crap, just for the fact that they keep raising prices on this stuff. And I I get it, content creation is that, but I mean, they have even their bands and the ones where you can get get them with ads, but even those are priced too high for you to have to deal with all the ads. So it's it's complicated, but yes, uh, if you want to enjoy the Marvels, you're going to need those things. You've probably already seen the Captain Marvel movie. Yes. yes, I've seen the Captain Marvel. I've not seen WandaVision. I can't imagine that I would I would I am surprised that WandaVision would play into it. Uh there there is the uh Captain Rambo character who is in that. That's there. Oh. That's that that would be Captain Marvel's niece from the first movie. Uh the little girl. Yeah, her, no. her best okay. friend was Captain Rambo and had a little girl. The little girl grows up and becomes the new Captain Rambo. Um, and if you don't see WandaVision, you don't know any of her backstory or why she is who she is. I see. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, unless you're... And that's okay. why I'm not going to see the Marvels. <laughs> yeah, unless you're going to go ahead and just live off the exposition that's in the Marvels, which... Yeah, it can. It's just mm-hmm. not going to be as satisfying. Uh, that's what that's what I did with the last Doctor Strange movie. <laughs> you needed to watch WandaVision before you really get into that one, and I, I didn't. So. Well, what's interesting is, and speaking of those loose ends, so, I mean, this year we did see Secret Invasion come out on Disney+, Plus, which is entirely a, it, it's an entirely Earthbound story, um, involving Nick Fury and the Skrulls that are living on Earth since the Captain Marvel movie. There's a whole bunch of intrigue and war stuff going on, and it plays no part in the Marvels. Despite the fact that there's Captain Marvel, Nick Fury, and the Skrulls all in that movie, too. <laughs> that, and that's where Marvel starts to lose people. Is It's 
collapsing under the weight of its own success. Are, are you connected or not with the extended Marvel Universe, is what it sounds like. Yes. And, yeah, at this stage, you need it all if you want to kind of keep up. Okay, understood. I feel like uh, Marvel probably did their best work with doing a series and the movies at the same time with some of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. where the events in the movies happened, but you only get a, a hint of it in the show by them like looking at a screen and, and watching the news and you seeing a clip from the film <laughs> on the news or something and going, wow, I can't believe that happened, sort of. And then, and then let's move on with our story. <laughs> and that, that was a fun way to parallel it. All right, well, that is a heavy top end of the show. I think we need to uh, move on and get to the subject at hand. So let's take a break. We'll play a promo for another podcast. And then when we get back, we're going to take a look at 2012's John Carter. What's up, guys? You like movies? You like cleverly named cocktails? The one you listen to pop? Pour. Review! A podcast where we review movies, all while drinking some cocktails. Join us every Monday as we discuss new movies, old movies, and everything in between. New episodes Mondays at 7 Eastern. Come have a drink with us! Let them be crushed! John Carter is a science fiction action-adventure film directed by Andrew Stanton and based on The Princess of Mars, written by Edgar Rice Burroughs, which first appeared in print in 1912. The film stars Taylor Kitsch in the title role. It also stars uh, Lynn Collins, Dominic West, Mark Strong, Samantha Morton, Thomas Hayden Church, and Willem Dafoe. In the film, a young Edgar Rice Burroughs attends the funeral of his uncle John Carter. 
Edgar has been left all of Carter's vast wealth and estate, including his personal journal. And in that journal tells the tale of Carter, a former highly decorated Confederate cavalry officer, who in 1868 is arrested by Union soldiers in order to try to convince him to help them fight the Apaches. He escapes, and in the ensuing chase, he and a wounded Union officer end up having to run from a group of Apaches. They take refuge in a cave that the Apaches won't even enter. Carter discovers the cave is lined with gold and strange markings are etched into the wall. A mysterious figure materializes in the cave and Carter shoots him. The man holds a silver medallion and attempts to recite a series of words. Carter takes hold of the medallion just as the man finishes and then Carter finds himself transported to the world of Barsoom, what he later discovers is the planet Mars. He finds in this world he has incredible strength due to the lighter gravity, which still doesn't prevent him from being captured from the green Martian Tharks, led by their Jeddak, Tars Tarkas, a tall, quad-armed, tusked creature who live in the remains of their once great civilizations that have been destroyed by the thousands of years of war between the two red Martian factions. Carter becomes embroiled with the political machinations of the leader of the moving city of Zodanga, the Jeddak, Sav Fon, has world conquest on his mind and is being aided by the mysterious Thurns. They've given him the power of the Ninth Ray, a powerful weapon that makes him seemingly unstoppable. Only the city of Helium stands in his way of conquering all of Barsoom. Sav Fon then arranges a marriage with the Princess of Helium, Dejah Thoris, with a promise to spare Helium. Carter has to help Dejah Thoris who is also the lead scientist of Helium, in order to try to find his way home, which makes him a target for Thawne and his Thern allies, while also fighting for his life if he gets caught in the middle of a battle of leadership brewing among the Tharks. And that is probably the longest synopsis I have ever read of any of the films that we have covered on this show, because it was literally, where do I begin and where do I stop with something like this? And, and having you read that out loud, all the thought sounds. Apparently, Martians really like the th sound. Yes, apparently. Thons, Therns, and Tharks. Oh my! This is director Andrew Stanton's first, and I believe only live-action film uh, to date. Stanton directed Pixar Animation Studios' hits *Finding Nemo* and *Wall-E*. He actually lobbied Walt Disney Studios to reacquire the rights from Burroughs' estate, having read the books as a kid. Uh, Disney had the rights to the film years ago, uh, and there's been actually from several studios attempts at making this this film. There's been attempts at doing an animated. Someone wanted to do a stop motion version. Uh, all these kind of just fell apart uh, because of the time that they were trying to do it. It simply couldn't be filmed. <laughs> Disney was originally skeptical, skeptical of hiring since he had only direct he had never directed a live action film before, and he wanted to do it without major stars. Uh, they found the screenplay confusing, but the but figured he managed to overcome similar obstacles to make his two previous animated films big hits. So they finally approved him as director. Now let's talk marketing a little bit. Yeah. The head of Walt Disney Studios marketing during the production was M.T. Carney, who previously ran a boutique marketing firm in New York with no previous experience marketing movies. But they gave it the old college try. <laughs> but Stanton often rejected marketing ideas from the studio, and according to those who worked on the film, chose to use his ideas instead. 
A preview reel presented at a convention failed to really resonate with the audience. And according to Stanton, quote, My joy when I saw the first trailer for Star Wars is I saw a little bit of almost everything in the movie, and I had no idea how it was connected, and I had to go see the movie, so the last thing I'm going to do is ruin that little kid's experience. That's how he explained having a preview reel with a whole lot of disjointed stuffs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Disney got even more nervous when Lionsgate's Liongate Films' remake of Conan the Barbarian performed poorly, as did Universal's Cowboy and Aliens, making studio execs think that audience weren't interested in anything with a Western or early American West theme. Uh, these elements were downplayed in many future previews or trailers. There is some controversy on who or why the title changed. The film, based on the story Princess of Mars, was originally titled John Carter of Mars, with Stanton claiming because not a single boy would go if it were called Princess of Mars. He later removed Of Mars in an effort to have it appeal to a broader audience. And Disney reportedly believed that the sex appeal of Taylor Kitsch appearing shirtless through the movie would bring in more female viewers because, of course, women don't like sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> There is also theories that the recent future, the recent failure of the Disney animated film Mars Needs Moms played a part with the marketing head Carney re- reportedly conducting a study which noted recent movies with the word Mars in the title had not been commercially successful. Yeah, because the word Mars is the thing that did it. <laughs> yes. A teaser trailer relied heavily on the visual imagery from the film without saying much about the creators or about Burroughs' work and how much it influenced later stories like Star Wars. There were few effects or action scenes shown, and Stanton has denied the rumor that production delays left them without enough finished shots to include. So again, Stanton chose not to show those. Stanton's contract gave him control over the trailers and their content. Disney begged him to take their suggestions, but he continually refused. This is one of the worst marketing campaigns in the history of movies, a former studio marketing chief complained to Vulture, the pop culture website of the New York Times, shortly before the film opened. It's almost as if they went out of their way to not make us care. The full trailer and a Super Bowl ad were both similarly bland enough to make even the star Taylor Kitsch publicly concur with the criticisms. Oh, God. (laughs) Carney left her position at the start of 2012 and was replaced by Ricky Strauss. Disney moved the release date up to early March 2012, giving the film only two weeks before The Hunger Games premiered, a film that had already gotten a lot of great buzz and was expected to do really well which we now know it did. And as the premiere date approached, unlike most films that a studio is banking on to kickstart the franchise, there were almost no marketing pushes of merchandise in Disney or non-Disney retail or online stores. In short, there was almost nothing going in this film's favor prior to release. And we will get to some of the post-release criticisms at the end of the show. (laughs) There's just so much that went into not making this film successful. Yes. It's very bizarre. For They spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this film. And very little of it actually 
trying to sell it. <laughs> or they didn't know. Hey, they let the wrong people with the wrong idea sell it. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's a shame it's Andrew Stanton that's mostly to blame for, for the poor decisions. Because without burying the lead, I find this an entertaining film. As do I. And and again, we'll get into it uh, a little bit later when we talk about some of the, uh, the, the fan feedback from the social media. It seems to be well-liked. Yeah. But why did this thing not do well in the theaters? I have to think it is... They didn't know... Stanton maybe didn't know how to market it. No. What they did do, they didn't do properly. The moving it up against, oh, there's this other studio coming out with this film that everyone is positive is going to be a hit. So let's let's put it ahead of that and only give us a couple weeks in the theater. Right. Can you imagine if maybe, you know, you, you didn't hear much about it, but it hit the theater and then word of mouth got out. And went, oh, no, that's a lot of, that's a great, that's a fun film. Can you imagine what would have happened if it had a little bit more time to breathe? Yeah. I think, you know, then Hunger Games, but you, you do it two weeks before something like Hunger Games comes out. Hunger Games with has its young audience fans from the books and everything. Huge amount of buzz. Takes the freaking movie-going uh, audience by storm. There is nothing that's else in that theater at that moment. Yeah. When, when were the when was the Princess of uh, Mars written? Uh, nineteen. What did I say? Nineteen twelve. Nineteen twelve. So yeah, you're putting a movie that's based off a book from nineteen twelve against a, a set of a, a movie that was based on a book that a couple years old. That, that, right. That every uh, every tweener <laughs> has read. Every person that's the people that spend the money in the theater yep. is familiar with. Yep. So, and and, and like you said, uh, with the marketing not really kind of touting that this is like source material for Star Wars and such. Uh, like, this is source material for almost every science fiction and fantasy uh, story that came after. Which again, when we get in, into the the reviews and all. It, it's on backwards because uh, without burying the lead on, on that, a lot of the criticism is we've seen this all before. And uh, uh, you're kind of like, yeah, because it's the source <laughs> of everything that you have seen before. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, and before we go any further, and uh, because you're talking about, you know, burying the lead and everything. And I, I brought up the, the social medias over on our Discord server when I posted this. Uh, former co-host Matt Flynn reminded me, he and I covered this film back in 2018. <laughs> oh, jeez. It, it's funny. I had a, a feeling. You ever have one of those feelings where you just have a feeling, but you don't know why you have that feeling? Yeah. About anything, yeah. about something. You just have something nagging at the back of your head that you don't know what it's there for. Until he mentioned it, I was like, that's the nagging that I've been having. <laughs> the back of my head, I remembered that we covered this, and I, I just couldn't bring it to the front. And I think that little story 
is perfect related to this film. Because as much as I enjoy watching it when I watch it, and with all the... There's amazing visuals, there's great effects, there's good action, decent enough story, it's compelling, and it's forgettable the second it's over. I don't can think of it as forgettable. I find... And sitting back and watching it this time... I find myself remembering scenes Mm -hmm. and really wanting to get to those scenes, but having to sit through an almost annoyingly amount of, of, of of a movie to get to those scenes. This perhaps is, which clocks in a little over two hours long. Yeah. Which I had it in my head that this was a way longer film. Oh, really? Yeah. I had it in my head that this was, and I don't know why. And maybe it's because, and unfortunately, a little true, feels a little long. Yeah, I, I think that that's just it. And that's kind of what I was leading to, too. It, it comes in at 132 minutes. And I really so thought that, it was more like three hours. Well, and that is, at times, I think, kind of how it feels. Mm-hmm. It, there is definitely a case where it feels like it's plotting. A little bit. And it's... Could we pick up this pace a little bit? But at the same time, I watch the film and it's like, what would I get rid of? Yeah, like when you're in the moment, like while I was watching it, thoroughly into it, very entertained, don't have a problem with any of the sequence of it. I think it all needs to roughly be there. Uh, I, I didn't see anything where it was, you could really cut this out. Uh, I didn't have that kind of feel, and I've had that feeling in other films. Like, uh, that was unnecessary. This didn't have anything like that, really. It's just, I I don't know, maybe a little bit of the plotting along while we were on our way to the Temple of Isis and all that. Possibly. You know what they could have dumped without too much effort? But it comes with a price. The therns are created for the film. Yeah. They do not appear in the original Edgar Rice Burroughs stories. Yeah. You could dump a a lot of time. You could probably easily cut a half an hour of this film just removing the therns. But how do you get Carter to Mars? Yeah, yeah, because without them in this, uh, and I don't know the the source material at all, so, yeah, if if it's supposed to be set in the early 18, or in the um, late 1800s, yeah. um, If I remember the stories correctly, he goes into a cave, Yeah, feels woozy or something, so there's something in the cave that makes him feel funny. He stumbles outside, falls asleep, staring up at the night sky, and wakes up on Mars. Or it's something along those lines. Yeah, and for the therns being made up, um, maybe you could cut that out. But honestly, I really enjoyed Mark Strong's um, character in this. I liked how, through most of the movie, you see him as him. Mm-hmm. And they don't make you fully understand nobody else sees him as him until we right. get to John meeting meeting him. 
and he starts doing all of his shape shifting. And that's when you realize, oh, that's what everybody sees when, when they're talking to him. They see somebody of their own kind that is providing guidance and information. Maybe only, um, um, what's his name? Uh, Saab, Saab Thon may mm-hmm. actually know that he's a Thern because he's right. been given the weapon. Yeah, no, I think so. I think I think he sees him as his Thern persona. That and that may be true, but I don't think anybody around Saab Thon sees him as anything other than one of his own kind. No, exactly. Which that that's actually pretty damn cool. Uh, and and it makes even more sense when you see uh you see him with a more warlike uh, group of Tharks, um, and he's providing advice to their Jeddak, and uh, mm-hmm. and he's just standing there in his robes, but they don't see him that way. But you don't get that part till just a little bit later. <laughs> it's very much uh, for anyone with a more well, I was going to say contemporary, but we're talking twenty, thirty years ago. This is the shadows of Babylon Five. Yes, yes, it absolutely is. So it's so derivative. <laughs> uh, again, came first. Actually, actually, no. I guess the Therns. You could say the Therns are derivative because Babylon Five came first. Yeah, but yeah. in which case, this is a snake uh, uh, biting its own tail. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Uh, but no, I, I well, there's e- even in the crap movies that Mark Strong has uh, appeared in. I can't. I just I enjoy him way too much. <laughs> so yeah, so you could cut out some time if you're willing to do a. Uh, and he's on Mars, and we're not going to explain how. I suppose. I think, but I think audiences would have a hard time swallowing that. Well, yeah, and honestly, I kind of. Doug, the the little um, I don't know, almost uh, Sherlock Holmes style storyline thing going on back on Earth, where he actually sets the therns up so yeah. so that he can get back to Mars after yes. after they tricked him out of going back to Earth. He sets up a very long con <laughs> to, to to get himself back to Mars, and that was that was actually very cool. I enjoyed that a lot. No, it was very clever. I liked it. I liked it too. I do actually like the idea that there is a a species that are just nearly immortal, that just are so they've just become so bored with everything that they decided they're just going to go around and manipulate worlds for just you know because shits and giggles. Well, and, and, and he even says at this point, well, not literally. They're just kind of feeding off of it. Mm-hmm. They just enjoy it. They, they, they like to tinker with civilizations till they all run themselves into the ground, and then they move on to another world and do it again. Yeah. <laughs> and in this particular solar system, they got two to play with. <laughs> yeah, and you kind of wonder if they've if they've done it on any other planet in the solar system before. Yeah, maybe that's why they're not inhabitable. <laughs> what did you think about the casting of this one? What about Taylor Kitsch as John Carter? I, I'll admit that, again, watching it this time, I run a little hot and cold. There's times where I think 
I couldn't imagine really anybody else. And there's other times where I think he's a little too California surfer boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is a little hard picturing him as a, a war-hardened uh, Civil War cavalry man. <laughs> he, he doesn't pull off that vibe so much. Right. Yeah, I think it just depends on what part of the film that he's in, in, in what role he's supposed to be that you can sort of uh, take him for what he is. Well, and he kind of reminds me of a poor man's Timothy Elephant. Okay. He's got kind of that look. Almost the presence, but just not quite. <laughs> but you could have put him in there in a heartbeat and you'd have had something too. I do kind of like the fact that we didn't have we had stars. We had some good names in this film. Yeah, but they're all in the uh in the background character stuff. <laughs> yeah, the the bigger names were hidden behind CGI. Mhm. You got Willem Dafoe, but he's a four-armed tusked fark. Right, yeah, to li- literally prior to the recording, I didn't really read through the, the the cast list, and then I see William Defoe on there, I'm like, wait, who was... Oh, yeah! I hear, I hear the <laughs> voice now! And it, it didn't even occur to me the entire time I was watching it that that was him. Well, I think it's brilliant. It's not just the voice. He was Tars Tarkas. They actually have Willem Defoe on stilts, with a facial motion capture camera and everything. Oh, nice. It's him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, they really went all out for that kind of stuff. I, I like that this wasn't, um, you know, this wasn't Tom Cruise as John Carter yeah. or anything like that, which I believe was one of the names talked about in earlier incarnations of, of attempts to get this film on the screen. Yeah, and people need to stop making those attempts to put him in every movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Lynn Collins is an actress I had never seen before that I knew of, anyway. Um, it wasn't until I was reading the reviews that uh, I re- knew it even struck me. Uh, both uh, Taylor and Lynn were in uh, the Wolverine movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it did, like... Oh, Yeah! <laughs> It was the X Men Origins yes, Wolverine. The X-Men. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever got around to watching that one. You didn't one. miss anything. <laughs> That's what I heard. Is why I, I didn't pay much attention to it. And it only now is striking me that actually he played one of my favorite X Men, and it was done so badly in the movie that I kind of forgot. But yeah, he played Gambit. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm, I can't see that. <laughs> well, that's okay. The movie did nothing for you to make you think you were watching Gambit. <laughs> she was apparently in about 10 episodes of The Walking Dead after in 21 and 22. Yep. Oh, you know, you know why I don't recognize her because I stopped watching The Walking Dead by then. Yes. That's that's what a lot happened to a lot of us. Right. Okay. No, in fact, actually, I really rather enjoyed her in, in the film. Uh, aside from the fact she's gorgeous, but uh, I mean, she had a great presence in the film. And that is where I think this film really has some strength. Is with the exception of maybe John Carter, all the characters I think have a really great presence. Mm-hmm. I, they're all great characters, and they all have 
they all have something to do and it what they're doing actually makes sense for their characters oh yeah no absolutely no i and i loved the the world of barsoon it does strike at one thing that I all, always drives me wild. It, it drives me wild to this day because they do it in all the damn Transformer movies, and I don't get it. It's the... You have a civilization with some technological prowess, and yet they still all beat the hell out of each other with swords and sticks. <laughs> Most of the major fight, they have ships that travel on light. Yes. With cannons and guns. And yet everything is a mass charge on beasts with sticks and swords. <laughs> and I'm like, why? I mean, it, it is that whole mentality because uh, it drives me even more nuts in a Transformers movie that they all beat the crap out of each other with swords. Like, you're robots! What the hell? So, <laughs> so in a civilization like this where they've advanced enough to have the, these mechanisms, and I love the feel. I love the notion that it's technologically sophisticated, but they're still very ingrained in their own um, worldly environment. It, it, there's a balance between here, I would say, Earth and sky, but in bars in the sky in this case. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a there's a balance there, but then they're all running around half-naked like barbarians. I kind of pictured them existing in a time that we would equate with, like, the high seas, with, with, with pirates and sailing ships and a, a glamorized version of... Of maybe you know the the eighteen hundreds or something like that here on Earth. Yeah, and, but they don't they don't have the seas, so they have ships that fly on light. Yes, and, and, and I like that 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 that's a way to at least ease ease it a bit. Um, but I mean, I'm thinking of her as in her science role, and she's busy working with that very intricate machine that she is busy. Figuring out uh, the uh, the ninth ray on her own, uh, which is why she's the threat in the movie. So that's the threshold that weirds me out. Now that could be the the equivalent of somebody having a, a dramatic leap forward in technology. Somebody smart enough has come along and figured it, it's like us developing the nuclear bomb. Uh, like mm -hmm. I don't know that we really had what we needed to get get that, but we did it. <laughs> And now it's right. here. So she could have been going down a little bit of that route, and I can forgive it a little bit. But yeah, that'd be a dramatic leap between 1800s world and... And I say that because I'm talking about, you know, since they don't have the sea, they still have ships and that feel, but they also have an entire city that walks across the face of the planet. Very, very true, but it, it all was very clockwork. Right, but they also mention, um, and then the attack against one of the uh, helium, he mentions, you know, target their radium reactors. Yeah, okay, yeah. So it's like, where are we? Yeah, how is this working? Yeah, because that, go back to your point, is like, they have reactors. Think about it, though. We have nuclear reactors. 
we aren't running around with laser guns. No, true, but I mean, they did. Like, like I said, they they had more weaponry than just sticks and, <laughs> and, and so they have reactors actually. And then if you think about it, too, you saw an awful lot of like torches and such, but <laughs> they apparently have reactors that run things. So no electric light or some. I I, I, mean, I don't get it. It was a weird amalgam of, uh, of technologies. We are talking about an alien world. Sure. We don't know how this world evolved. Obviously, you know, things evolved under harsh cir- circumstances. Thousands of years of war on a, on a, on a dying planet. You, you don't know what technology has been lost in that time as well. Or what technology maybe they had and they're still using, but no one really understands it but it just keeps working, so they go with it. And this is where I'll bring in... uh, Okay, we all agree it feels a little long, even though it's not really that long. So what are your thoughts on what if this had been more of a series than a movie? Give you time to build this world? Because I think that's part of where, where... Marketing this was probably hard, even if somebody who was better at it did it. Um, Because, I mean, it is. It's based off the story from 1912. That's a little bit... uh, That's a minute ago. So, this is a whole world that not a lot of people would have had any exposure to. I I mean, you're literally kicking everybody off with calling it Barsoon and... They're almost offended if you call it Mars, because that's your word, not ours. Um, but because of that, we don't. We're talking about where did all this technology come from? How does it work? Why do you use this versus that? All that stuff. I think you needed some time for some more world building so that we could appreciate it. And I think this would do well if uh, if it went in a different direction and made it even longer form. I do not disagree with you i think this is something perhaps it was a little ahead of its time can you imagine a series on disney plus edgar rice burroughs john carter of mars series i i would love to see it i again i still struggle with marketing it because most people are gonna go who's that my thought is could they have put edgar rice burroughs or other than the fact that it's difficult to say Edgar Rice Burroughs's <laughs> John Carter of Mars. Or I mean, could could they have put his name to the title to make it a little bit more obvious as to what this is based on to get people to go and look and, and, and find the Princess of Mars? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hate to admit it, but I think Stanton was right. You couldn't have called this Princess of Mars. No, likely not. Especially coming from Disney, you'd have people going to the theater looking for something else entirely. Did you actually read the source book at all? Like, I know I haven't. I did to to some extent. Uh, I would love to actually get a physical copy of the book, like an old printed copy. What I tried to read uh, like five years ago Mm -hmm. when we covered this before, I remembered this after Matt had uh, brought it up. I got like a downloaded on my uh, on my Nook copy. Okay. But the uh, the text recognition scan was so poor that there was just 
it was really frustrating trying to read. Mm. You know, there's just a lot of that doesn't make sense. That's not the right word. Obviously, you know, something was scanned and not from a decent source uh. and just thrown into a digital form. And I, I read it, and I think I actually, I said this at the time, I read it for as long as I could stand it. <laughs> it wasn't that the, it was the story, it wasn't the story that was bothering me. It's it was copy. just the, it was just the, uh, the vehicle that it was being presented to me in mm. was bothering me. And I never, I have never gone back. I'd love to actually find a legitimate copy. I need to find a book from the library to actually try to read this. Yeah, because I think my question in that, and not that, um, not that she didn't feature prominently Deja, uh, but mm-hmm. is she even the star of her own book? I don't remember because it was so. It was five years ago, and I I did not get that far into it. And I'm gonna strike out and say in 1912, no, she was probably not. No, so to which then the title almost doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So if that's not if she is not the heart and soul of your story, why is she your title? So right, um, yeah. So I, I would even dare say strike out a little more wild. Don't name it after a character. Um, call it Barsoom. Tales from Barsoom, or yeah, yeah, something. Uh, but give give it some more mystique. Mm. Um, don't be so literal um, and get, and I think yeah and in a longer form where you can build out the world and then take li- I mean they had th- obviously they took liberties by creating the Thern um, you could expand upon the world based off what we know now versus 1912 but inspired by but not necessarily a direct correlation between would that have helped too could you have called it you know barsoon or the uh, uh stories tales of barsoom or something like that and then at the bottom of the poster based on the works of edgar rice burroughs right just put his name out there would that have helped pe- stop people from criticizing the film for being quote-unquote derivative yeah let's talk about the source of all of this and then yeah i think that could i think we're already doing a better marketing job right now <laughs> we would have had to have changed the title of the of the movie um but yeah i think we're on a better track right now than they were in in 20 probably 11 <laughs> Well, we put this in our series of, well, it looked pretty, mm-hmm. and it absolutely does. Yes. The the light ships are amazing. I love every frame that, they're on, that, that they are on screen, and it is another one of those moments where it's like, damn, I'm sorry, model kits aren't a thing. <laughs> I wish this movie was more popular and I wish there were some sort of model kits and I would love to have a shelf full of light chips. And I love that they they even boiled it all down to like a personal craft as well. Mm-hmm. Because that was a fun little sequence trying to watch him try to figure out how not to die. Yes. <laughs> while flying <laughs> this thing. With, with his goofy pet Martian dog thing. <laughs> Uh, can we all agree the real star of this movie was Willa? Oh, absolutely. 
<laughs> the, these what six-legged dog? Yeah, no, that thing was amazing. I, I, eight-legged. I, I think it was eight-legged. Eight-legged dog. Uh, and, and the, f- <laughs> the fact that it runs like a bat out of hell. <laughs> uh, and with eight legs, why wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. But the, that that big goofy good boy dog face that the. the <laughs> <laughs> that he made, she made every single time. That was just amazing. I, I I told my family that should we ever end up with any kind of bulldog-like animal in the house, yeah. we know its name. <laughs> <laughs> well, this episode's already going pretty long. We should try to... Uh, Bring it in for a landing. <laughs> let's go into the social media. Um, over on Facebook, uh, Chris Cree says that she liked it. The series is far too big to try to squish into a movie, but I enjoyed the adventure that was there. I think that's probably very accurate. Yep. Uh, our, our, our friend Floyd, he liked it. He thought it was an underrated film. Uh, and this, uh, from a variety of different sources, uh, many of it from like the, the Fettyverse, uh, <laughs> a variety of uh, social media, so the usernames here, Charlie Bones also enjoyed this movie. He left me, it left me wanting for more, and he thought that it sucked that it failed. Yeah. Agreed. Yes, spelled with three Ys. <laughs> I adore the books, which are from the early 20th century. Hardly derivative when they inspired 20th century greats like Bradbury and Sagan. I followed this movie for years leading up to it. They completely screwed the marketing. I was disappointed to say the least, but it is magical to see such a loved work in film. Maybe someday we'll get a reboot. Nova Prime loved this movie when it came out. Thought it was rough around the edges, but a hell of an adventure on screen. Again, to call it derivative, though, is a joke and betrays an understanding of the impact the novel series had on the sci-fi genre as a whole. Riven liked it overall. Carter's characterization is very different from the books, but his book characterization is so weird that I completely understand why they changed it, even if I was annoyed. Also, the book is very specific that most Martians don't wear clothes, but that probably wouldn't have gone over well either. <laughs> Not as a Disney property. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Put that put that on Max <laughs> or, or Showtime. <laughs> I'd watch that. Bluebar X ends it with enjoyed it and have gone back and watched it a few times. The alien char- character FX was a bit cheesy, but the acting and story were engaging. On that, the the character effects and everything for 2012 and doing the uh, kind of the motion capture and all that stuff, I think it holds up pretty well. I think the CGI and everything still works really well for the film. No, I, I completely agree. And actually, uh, the Tharks are some of the, my favorite parts of the uh, of the film, and, and actually the ones that we kind of developed what they were like. We got a little more what life for a Thark is like than we did out of any of the others. Yeah, oh, very much. Yeah, we don't really know what life is like on Helium or, or Zodanga, for that matter. Yeah. But we got, yeah, we got a lot of nice insight into Thark... Uh, civilization and, and that's where i think a longer form would suit us because i mean we need to the the red martians we need to know where they came from and why they split apart like they did um the tharks how how they managed to still exist in a world where this other race has technology that far exceeds theirs so uh the, the notion of a bi-species planet could be very interesting 
No, very much. And I should also mention too that uh, we're talking about um, you know the visuals, the the the, the world creation and the vehicles mm-hmm. and then the Tharks and everything. But I honestly think the Red Martians with the uh, the the Red Martian uh, the tattoo art and everything that they exist. All of it looked gorgeous. I love the look of absolutely everything in this film. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it definitely is pretty. No, but but you even make that that's a fantastic point. You see all the the tattoo work on the Red Martians. We don't know why it's there or what it means. Right, and every one of them, and again, production value. Every one of them is unique. Yep. There is no copy. All the extras, everybody. There is no duplication of their uh, of their tattoos. Not a single one that I caught. <laughs> it's astonishing. Yeah, no, that the and that's part of why this film costs what it costs. Because yeah, you, yeah, that's why this film is like three hundred million dollars. Yeah, it's a lot of background work being done. So let's get to the uh, critics of the time. <laughs> the critics of the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> This will be fun. Um, thank you, Metacritic, uh, for gathering as much of this because there's a long list. Um, but we're going to go through uh, t- top to bottom here. Uh, Miami Herald, Connie Ogle. Ogle. O-G-L-E. Anyway. Um, John Carter manages to be a ridiculous amount of fun, even if you are immune to the charms of Taylor Kitsch from Friday Night Lights. Uh, running around in what amounts to a stylish loincloth. Uh, and then we get the Portland Oregonian, M.E. Russell. John Carter is too wickedly strange not to recommend. Movies this expensive usually play it much safer. So they were actually rather enamored with, uh, of course, obviously they didn't dig get into any background to know why it is like it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you get uh, New York Times, A.O. Scott. It's a potpourri of arcane and familiar genres, and this is where we go with this from here. Mashup doesn't begin to capture this hectic hybrid. It's more like a paintball fight. Messy and chaotic, but also colorful and kind of fun. So, again... Snake chasing the tail. They're thinking, and yeah. this is derivative. It's the source. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. got made later. Go over to Roger Ebert, and this is actually from Roger. Um, he went on a long diatribe on this thing, but then he just sums it up in, does John Carter get the job done for the weekend action audience? Yes, I suppose it does. The massive city on legs that stomps across the landscape is well done. The Tharks are ingenious, although I'm not sure why they need tusks. Lynn Collins makes a terrific heroine, and I enjoyed the story outs- or the story outside the story about how Burroughs wrote a journal about what he saw and then appears briefly as a character. He may even turn up in sequels. After all, he wrote some. So, but Roger gave it a two and a half stars. So, mm. right for him, that's right there in the middle. But yeah, uh, liked it, but was a little put off by it. Uh, and then it starts getting a lot darker real fast. <laughs> so we get the uh, Chicago Tribune, Michael Phillips, John Carter isn't much, or rather, it's too much and not enough in weird, clumpy combinations. 
but it is a curious sort of blur. That's kind of like, I want to say something without saying anything. Yeah, exactly. And it's weird. That's the worst kind of criticism. That's literally, my review is due by seven. Here it is. Did he watch the movie or did he just watch the trailer? <laughs> yeah. And that's actually, I start really kind of wondering with some of these reviewers if that's not actually the case. Um, then we get into Entertainment Weekly, Owen Gleiberman. Nothing in John Carter really works since everything in the movie has been done so many times before and so much better. And then New York Post, Lou, Lou Lumenic. That's a lot to say. Um, interminably long, dull, and incomprehensible, John Carter evokes pretty much every sci-fi classic from the past 50 years without having any real personality of its own. And that's, again, another person where you want to whisper in their ear, the last 50 years came from this property. <laughs> yeah. They at least avoided using the word derivative, so... Yeah. I guess I can kind of... There was somebody... I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I read at some point when I was trying to do my research, and I, I didn't write it down, and I, I wish I had, because it was one of the uh, filmmakers that were originally asked to look into helming a, a film, trying to get this onto the screen. And someone looked at it and went, I can't do this because George Lucas has already beat this story to death. I think his actual phrase was something about how George Lucas had already plundered these stories for all they're worth. Yeah. So, the latter two reviews, I kind of see their point. They're not saying that this is derivative. They're just saying it's been done so many times. It doesn't matter what the source material was. It has been done so many times before that even if you make a story based on the thing that all those other things are based on, there is that sort of sense of, well, what's the point? We've already done this. Yeah, and as we've been having this conversation, I can almost hear some of our audience actually yelling at us, go, yeah, but they're talking about the movie against other movies. And, and to that, mm -hmm. I, I say, yes, I understand, I agree, and I, but I, I want something out of the critics that actually establishes that they understand that the source content may have created all those other things, but it created this too. And mention it in your review. Mention that Edgar, Edgar Rice Burroughs' work was the inspiration for so many things we've come before that have come before. And that's my problem with this: is that all those things have now come before this. And, and to be fair, I didn't do the because thanks to paywalls. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do the long-form read on all of these uh, reviews. So if any of them actually covered that, then I apologize for the critique. But when the harshest things that come out of you aren't already cut with uh, a bit of understanding, then don't say those things necessarily because you're not coming from a place uh, of uh, knowledge. Even those that liked it still had a little edge about it. And, and, and I get that. Uh, we have seen these stories before. It is this story that generated those stories. But it, we have. And I, can, and I think that's part where I loop back to what I said earlier in our review, is 
it can be a little forgettable because a lot of the elements that are in this are in all of the others. But I still, I still enjoy watching it. I do, I do. I, I have this on Blu-ray. I got the Blu-ray as soon as it came out. Um, I saw this in the theater. This was one of the, those rare instances where I actually <laughs> went to the movies and, and saw this in the theater. I thought it looked fantastic then. It, it still looks good on Blu-ray. It's one of the most beautiful Blu-rays I think I've ever seen. Yeah, no, uh, it, it does. It looks amazing. Um, it's a lot of fun while you're watching it. Um, but yeah, if you overthink it, you'll talk yourself out of liking it. <laughs> and You know, the, the runtime is one of those things where it, this could be a film that I would go back to and watch a lot more if it weren't two hours and 20 minutes long. I, I kind of laugh a little when we, we think of that. Like, most solid, you can watch it whenever you come in at the 90-minute mark, maybe a little more. Um, mm-hmm. Once you start achieving that two-hour mark, it does become a little bit much to just to have this as background noise. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's funny when we pick on two-hour 18 as long it, when we live in a world where you can get to three and four hours. I haven't watched Oppenheimer yet, mostly because it's a three-hour and change movie. I have to dedicate myself to that amount of time, and it gets harder to do. Exactly. I'm exactly the same way. Those are definitely not, those are not the films typically I'm going to go to the theaters for either because I'm, <laughs> I, I I want a pause button and a rest and a clean restroom. <laughs> there there is that. There are those moments that actually it's kind of funny since I mentioned going to see the Marvels because I've seen it twice. Once with my son and then once with friends, and I'm glad I did it that way because I had to take bathroom breaks in both. <laughs> so I just timed them at different times this time around. Understood. So yes, yes, the longer you make your movie, the harder you make it to be in a theater. All right, well, I think that will do it for John Carter. If anyone else has any comments or thoughts on the film or our, our thoughts on the film, do send us an email to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com or follow the link in the show notes to any of the social media sites. To round out the year, we are at the end of, well, it looked pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to look at a film from 2014. This will be a first-time watch for myself. We're going to look at the Johnny Depp film Transcendence. Uh, Tom, I think you said you have watched this? I have this? seen this at least once. Excellent. Okay, well, this will be a first-time watch for me. It, uh, from I can tell from the trailer, it definitely fits well within our It Looks Pretty, yep. and I'm looking forward to seeing if there is more to it than just a, a pretty picture. Yep. I can't wait. So that's going to do it. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. Uh, Tom, thanks as always. We'll talk to everyone in two weeks. Bye. See ya.